the QuackCast Revenant Edition. This is number 221 called Bovine Pancreatic Insufficiency. My editor over at Medscape said I tended to have obscure titles for my blog entries. I will not argue, since I sometimes wonder what the hell was I getting at when I reread entries for my Gobbit of Pus podcast. The meaning of the title will become clear later in the podcast when I beat a metaphor to death. I sometimes wonder if my propensity for obscure wordplay is due to some residual DNA from my grandmother. She was a high-functioning, undifferentiated schizophrenic who had a variety of odd quirks about specific word usages, such as the word job, leading to her recurring correction in a thick Boston accent. A job is what a dog does on the carpet. Wisdom indeed from the depths of insanity. There are four approaches to the treatment of infectious diseases. The first is antimicrobials, which almost always targets a specific enzyme in a critical biochemical pathway of a pathogen. There can be other mechanisms of action, but the antimicrobial target is usually very specific. When you have to resort to treating an infection with a detergent, like polymyxin B, you are really hurting for an intervention. The sooner you give antimicrobials, the better the response. For viri, it is best to give treatment within 72 hours after the onset of symptoms for most viruses. I suspect this is part of why the response of COVID to remdesivir has been so anemic. Most of my patients did not get to the ER until day 8 or so of illness. Another form of treatment is supplementing the immune system, most often in the form of antibodies. This is expensive and inconvenient, but depending on the infection, can be effective. Probably a better therapeutic option for toxic shock syndrome and tetanus than it is for COVID-45. Then there is interfering with the host's response to the infection. Much of the damage from infections can be due to a vigorous response of the immune system to the infection and collateral damage to the host cells as the immune system attacks the pathogen. Very much a it-became-necessary-to-destroy-the-town-to-save-it situation. So the thought is, if you can blunt the immune system, you can decrease the damage from the infection. Steroids have been the most popular approach, and the efficacy has been variable. Patients often get better faster from a variety of infection with the addition of steroids, but at the cost of adverse drug reactions, increased blood sugars, infection, and delirium. For most infections, but not all, the risk-benefit is a wash. Then there are those U2 drugs, those that move in mysterious ways. Drugs that mechanistically do not appear to directly, specifically, or predominantly target either the pathogen or the immune system. A semi-classic example, I think, would be statins. There were many hints that statins decrease mortality in sepsis. By what mechanism? Many were alleged likely what I call the cold fusion effect. The effect isn't really there, but clever people who talk loudly in restaurants somehow find mechanisms of action. Quote, statins decrease the production of isoprenoid lipid and inhibit activation of GTPase protein via their effects on prenylation. Statins have also been shown to act on several crucial steps in sepsis, the generation of pro-inflammatory cytokines, modulation of leukocyte and monocyte functions, and reduction of oxidative stress as well as improvement in endothelial function and platelet activity. In one trial, simvastatin reduced the systemic response to endotoxin administration 
and decreased expression of toll-like receptors that hold a key role in sepsis. In addition, an antimicrobial effect of statins on methicillin-sensitive staph aureus and methicillin-resistant staph aureus have been reported. And the clinical result? Eh, who knows? As one typical meta-analysis concluded, quote, 15 studies had mortality data of which 10 showed lower mortality among statin users, four showed no difference in mortality, and one showed increased mortality among statin users. Nine studies examined the risk of developing sepsis and or infection, of which five studies showed decreased risk among statin users, whereas four studies showed no difference. The overall conclusion of these reviews was that statins may have a beneficial effect in the treatment and prevention of various infections, but due to heterogeneity and observational design in the included studies, here it goes, further randomized studies are needed to address this effect. My take on the entire literature, much ado about nothing. So often the benefit is found in subgroup analysis, not primary endpoints, and so likely garbage. This brings us to fluvoxamine and the treatment of COVID-45. I first learned about the topic over at HIV and ID Observations, a great infectious disease blog. I always refer colleagues to the classic, how to figure out the length of antibiotic therapy. The blog had an entry entitled, Could This Be Our First Effective, Inexpensive, Widely Available Outpatient Treatment for COVID-19? Fluvoxamine is an old antidepressant. Why would it work for COVID-45? Quote, it has a legitimate mechanism of action. Actually, multiple mechanisms. As it has anti-inflammatory, antiplatelet, and potentially antiviral activity independent of its psychoactive properties. If you want to get into the wheeze, read this nice summary. But of course, many drugs have in vitro mechanisms of action that don't pan out. Words of the wise. Nope, that's the cold fusion explanation. Coming up with a reason a medication, or cold fusion, could work when, in fact, it doesn't. Sort of real medicine's corollary to Harriet Hall's tooth fairy science. When a drug has multiple mechanisms for treating infections that are independent of going after the pathogen, it likely has no mechanism of action. As Dr. Sachs noted, quote, most of the secondary endpoints also favored fluvoxamine, although the differences were not always statistically significant. Which again, to my mind, is suggestive that the findings are nothing. Dr. Sachs is always skeptical, which is why his blog is always a delight to read. Quote, look, we've all been burned by promising studies of these repurposed drugs, and it's quite reasonable to reserve final judgment until we see the complete data and even other studies. And such a study is now available. Effect of fluvoxamine versus placebo on time to sustained recovery in outpatients with mild to moderate COVID-19. Fluvoxamine didn't do squat. Or in a more professional assessment, quote, the median time to recovery was 12 days in the fluvoxamine group compared to 13 days in the placebo group. And there was no significant benefit for the primary outcome of time to sustained recovery. For the secondary composite outcome of hospitalization, urgent care visit, emergency department visit, or death at day 28, the fluvoxamine group had an event rate of 3.9% compared with the event rate of 3.8% in the placebo group. When the use of fluvoxamine came up at our group meeting a while back, I suggested it was the usual BS we have seen time and again. 
no real single mechanism of action, no specific antimicrobial effect, small flawed studies. It was ivermectin, it was hydroxychloroquine, it was statins, etc. Yet again. And now, the metaphor you've all been waiting for. So, you may not be aware that male cows have pancreatic insufficiency. One of the effects of pancreatic insufficiency is fat malabsorption. Fat floats to the top of water, like cream, only less appealing. So the stool of steers of pancreatic insufficiency floats in water, in addition to being particularly foul-smelling. In clinical research, small retrospective uncontrolled trials of medications with no good mechanism of action yield the findings that are actually similar to the result of bovine pancreatic insufficiency. And then researchers with anosmia examine the buoyant result and think they have found something. Nope. And you may find yourself looking at retrospective studies. And you may find yourself with no placebo control. And you may find yourself with a large number of mechanisms of action. And you may find yourself in a beautiful hospital with a beautiful study. And you may ask yourself, well, how did I get here? Letting the days go by, letting the studies hold me down, letting the days go by, studies flowing underground, into the blue again after the money's gone, once in a lifetime, studies flowing underground. And you may ask yourself, how do I work this? And you may ask yourself, where is the large placebo-controlled trial? And you may tell yourself, and this is not my beautiful clinical trial. And you may ask yourself, this is not my beautiful clinical result. Letting the days go by, letting the water hold me down, letting the days go by, water flowing underground, into the blue again after the money's gone, once in a lifetime, water flowing underground. And you may ask yourself, what is this beautiful study? And you may ask yourself, where does this treatment go to? And you may ask yourself, am I right? Am I wrong? And you may ask yourself, my God, what have I done? Same as it ever was, same as it ever was, same as it ever was, same as it ever was. And thank your stars that I did not actually sing that like David Byrne. And that ends the QuackCast number 221. The references, if you're interested, as well as clever hyperlinks can be found over at Science Based Medicine on the February 23rd, 2023 entry, Bovine Pancreatic Insufficiency. And that's it. Talk to you next time. Bye.